This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From somewhere deep in the wilderness of Maine, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Luke. I'm Kyle. And I'm Nicole. And today on the podcast, our interview with Overhaul Captain Charles Guan. Chris and Lindsay are camping for the next two weeks somewhere in rural Maine. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. Follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots, and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have three news items for you today. First up, Team Wayachi this week sparked a fork war after showing off Hydra's newest set of forks, which are very long and very thin. Endgame and Deep Six responded by showing off photos of their forks, which might be even longer. Not to be outdone, Malice outdid everyone by taping a dinner fork to the front of their robot. Meanwhile, the team behind the rookie robot Riptide released test box footage of their egg beater drum spinner, which looks mean. Check out video on the team's Facebook page. And finally, Icewave Captain Mark Demers auctioned off the top cover from Icewave on eBay this week, with the winning bidder taking home the top cover for $750. And that's it for this week's news. Hold on, hold on. Before we move on, I got I got to tell you, I am infinitely annoyed by Fork Wars. What? <laughs> what? Kyle, elaborate. I... I, I know that, you know, when we interviewed Greg, I think it was last time he was on, he said that when he talked to Marco, for like uh, when he talked to Marco about um, the future of the sport and kind of where things are going in Brazil, that, that wedgelets and that long forks would be coming to BattleBots and we all need to like, you know, see it coming. I just didn't think it would be this ridiculous. This is so silly. Like, it doesn't even look real. I, I don't want to watch two bots with ground scraping, long skinny things trying to touch each other. I want to see fights with sparks and explosions and things going kaboom. And I just, I don't like it. It makes me skeptical about this whole season. Kyle, have you perhaps swallowed the onion? Is this, uh, is this maybe, uh, you know, a elaborate trick that the, uh, that the teams are playing on the fans and that these, uh, these forks are not actually real? I hope to all that is good and holy in robot combat, which is not much, that that is the case. Okay. All right. Well, I, I will tell you, um, <clears throat> You know, I, I wish I could I wish I could tell you, but, uh, you know, I, I got to go back in the pits. So I saw a lot of things, you know, um, what can I say? You know, uh, 
Cut this, I guess. <laughs> Nicole, oh my god. Yeah. I I was I was I was trying to talk my way out of that sentence and it didn't work. So uh yeah. Officially though, that means we can't cut this. Wait, what part do I actually have to cut? <laughs> don't don't cut okay, any of okay, it. Okay. After the break, our interview with overhaul captain Charles Guan. This interview is brought to you by Just Cause Robotics and friend of the pod, Seth Schaefer. Seth has competed in BattleBots with Bloodsport and in Season 6 with Retrograde. His goal is to make it easier for new builders to get involved in combat robotics through guides and tutorials and now custom products. If you're interested in learning more, check out his website at JustCauseRobotics.com. That's JustCuzRobotics.com. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Overhaul Captain Charles Guan. Charles is a mechanical engineer who studied at MIT and began competing on BattleBots in 2015 with the Super Team JACD, whose members went on to build Sables, Brutus, and Roadrash. After a two-season hiatus, Charles is returning to BattleBots this year with a new and improved version of his clamping control bot overhaul. He's also been one of the rare few captains to talk publicly about the cost of building a BattleBot and how it very well might be the least profitable investment he's ever made. Today is also his birthday, so we want to wish you a very happy birthday, Charles. We are looking forward to getting into all things overhaul, anime, vans, trucks, van trucks, and money in the hour ahead. So welcome back to the show, Charles great to be back. I definitely miss everybody. It was good to be back at the show this year. The last time we talked to you was right at the start of COVID. So we talked to you in April of 2020. So I was hoping we could just kind of catch up on the last 18 months. Um, How has life been? How was COVID? Uh, Can you tell us about the last year and a half? Well, uh, COVID's still here to our chagrin. Um, I, I mean, everything's better now, but, um, yeah, so uh, over the course of the last year, um, if you guys followed me on various forms of internets, uh, I did up, end up finishing overhaul. Uh, we ended up making the team decision to sit out that last uh, season just because we are all over the country now. So there was it was just too much to make work. So luckily, that means I had an entire year to continue improving overhaul. Uh, we did a whole bunch of street fights with uh, SadBot. A lot of practice driving, found out where all the mechanical bugs are and things like that. And so we were able to actually make the bot very robust. Uh, and personally, we I was very satisfied with how the bot did this time around. Obviously, we won't be able to talk about that. Uh, but that additional forced preparation, I suppose you can say, it was actually very helpful. Uh, a lot of times in build crunch mode, you don't really get time to test extensively. And so actually being able to sit down and say, okay, this part was a problem. We need to address it. Uh, and how do we plan on doing so, getting that extra few months of uh, development cycle in. That was great. And it also, the nice thing is it allowed us to really consolidate and refine the team look. And I think that's going to be um, either very well received or very poorly received this year. It's going to be amazing either way. I had a friend who is a professional outfit and costume designer actually draw up a concept of the uh, team outfit. And she actually made those by hand. So we each have custom tailored elements of our team uniform and i'm very very excited to actually see the uh, results of that on the screen so uh, that extra couple of months uh, was pretty incredible to actually have it ended up i would say being a blessing 
because uh, otherwise I was trying to build an entire new bot, go to a competition right after I'd moved, right after I started a new job, uh, right after I you know, put up in a new house and all that. And it was very, very stressful. It ended up being actually very enjoyable. So uh, otherwise, yeah, great to just get back in the game like that. One of the uh, one of the big things that I, I think of when I think of your costume is like blue lights. You know, um, do do the costumes this year light up? Can you tell us that? Yes, uh, there are a lot of EL panel and LED elements. Uh, it's kind of going a uh, with a the uh, post apocalyptic cyberpunk theme. Like a, it's a very popular motif and a theme these days. So we cool. kind of went for the gritty reboot of Overhaul. So now the EL effects and the lights otherwise, I think, are going to be really cool. Like there are, All these video games have the uh, cyber lighting, you know, the cyberpunk uh, implants and stuff, and we tried to kind of mimic that. Now, I know that we saw this robot is not Overhaul, kind of the 30-pound miniature version, compete at Norwalk Havoc um, earlier this year. Did the, um, did the process of building the 30-pounder, did any of those um, design ideas make it into the, the heavyweight? A whole bunch. So this version of 30 Hall slash This Is Not Overhaul, I actually put together in late 2019. Um, and so it's actually sat on a shelf for a good couple of months because there was no events running. And I finally was able to take it to the Norwalk Havoc series of events uh, later last year and earlier this year. Uh, and I did the build the correct way this time, a.k.a. I built the 30-pounder. Uh, was able to test at Orlando Maker Fair of 2019 before all hell broke loose. Was able to get some initial uh, revisions and iterations done on the design, built overhaul itself, and then I uh, used the 30 hall at Norwalk to kind of make improvements and change some minor elements and make attachments I wanted to use. That's very cool. Um, I also heard that you got a new cat uh, during COVID. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, like many folks, I figured I should adopt something. Uh, and now, <laughs> I think plenty of people have seen that I have a bunch of yard cats. Like, they're just neighborhood cats that run around and I leave food out for them. None of those are technically my cat. Um, but I decided to actually have my name on the title and registration and paperwork on, on something. So luckily, a friend of mine, last uh, last June, their cat had a litter. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, sign me up. I'll, I'll check come... Uh, three months later when you can adopt the kittens. And so I picked a very handsome orange and white uh, long hair and uh, named him Rona. Uh, kind of confusing because he's a very cute cat. Everyone calls him a she because all cute cats are female. Hmm. Um, and the name doesn't really help. So even the vet is like, oh, yeah, she's looking great. And uh, <laughs> it's actually a he. Or I should say used to be a he. I'm so sorry, little buddy. Um, but yeah, he is a descendant of a show cat so his father is a like a show persian uh cool. like very fluffy flat face and his mom is a big long-haired calico so he got every single gene for being fluffy yeah uh, he's legendary right now among all my friends for just being ridiculously fluffy uh, <laughs> and it is daily maintenance that it is real but i signed up for it and i think it's worth it he's very talkative and outgoing uh, last question about coronavirus. Did you adopt any new vehicles uh, during the pandemic? In the last 18 months, have you added to the fleet? Oh, Lord, save me. <laughs> if, if You know how some people are like crazy cat ladies that hoard cats? I think um, me and Vans is probably that. Um, I, I actually had some fleet cycling, so I bought some and I sold some. Um, but I did end up... Um, 
getting three more vehicles since I moved from Boston to Atlanta. It's mostly because I have space that's uh, in the back of the house, and it's uh, completely hidden from view from the neighbors. So it's not like they'll get me or the city or my uh, landlord in trouble. So I've uh, accumulated more vehicles. They all have a reason. I swear, this is what every hoarder says. I, I have it for a reason. I know what it, I know what it's about. I, you know, I'll get rid of it when I'm ready, or you know, you know, whatever. But um, yeah. So I currently have four 1980s Ford Econoline vans of some sort, uh, and I still have my Mitsubishi van. And I ended up forcing myself to buy a real people car as well. So that is a uh, Dodge Caravan. Very cool. Very cool. If I have one real people car, it means I can have as many piles as I want. <laughs> um, also, uh, you know, in the last 18 months, you competed on BattleBots. You know, uh, you traveled to, to Las Vegas and competed. I know that um, the experience is still pretty fresh in your mind. So I'd love to uh, to get like any fun or interesting stories from the pits, you know? Um, I feel like I saw a lot of photos of you uh, sleeping on couches or uh, laying on the floor, you know? Uh, what is that about? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Charles couch posting. Yeah, that became a meme um, because I have a habit of just like splattering on a couch. Like a lot of those, obviously, let's let's be real, they were posts. You know, it's like, it's because I was like, okay, I'm going to splatter on the couch. We're going to take a picture. But uh, there were a couple that were real. <laughs> Um, pits wise, it was good to just see everybody again. You know, I know folks were attending last season as well. Um, and I, I again, I skipped out on that cause we just couldn't make the 27 different COVID lineup. It's just, it wasn't worth it. But, uh, this time around things were a lot more reasonable. They still took precautions. The pits were still very open air and wide. Uh, we still got regularly tested it was good to be able to kind of trust folks to not spread the ick. Uh, so for me, it was a good reunion. It's like, I haven't seen a lot of folks since I left Boston, like a lot of the, uh, Sawblaze folks, the Ribot folks, Valkyrie, P1, like these, uh, Northeast New England teams that I used to just compete with every other week, you know, or go to maker fairs with and things like that. Um, all around great. So in terms of other pit shenanigans, a lot of that breaks the NDA, you know, so <laughs> I'm not really going to go into super into detail about it. Um, but I would say memes were had and uh, that is all of really why I went. Good, good. Um, I want to transition over into talking about one of the big conversations that I heard in the pits this year, um, around money. Um, I feel like there's just something about going to Las Vegas and like seeing this kind of just amazing new studio, um, walking into these just these massive massive um you know pit area massive filming area and seeing that huge slot machine <laughs> like in the front that um i don't know uh, kind of was like a symbol i think you know for for money um so i guess before we start i feel like not a lot of people want to talk about money in battle bots it's kind of like a pretty stigmatized topic it's stigmatized because we're sick and it's an addiction and we keep losing money <laughs> that's why nobody wants to talk about it. nobody wants to admit how much money they lose yeah um i i i guess i guess that's a good place to start because i feel like people assume on the show i think a lot of the fans assume like oh well you know uh, you go to this show and you must get like some money to build your robots or, you know, you have these great sponsors who pay for your entire robot. Um, 
Is that true? Is there, do you know of like any robots, you know, who break even at BattleBots or is every single one of your friends losing tens of thousands of dollars every season? Um, Can you talk about, you know, basically how much the average team loses? Oh, baby Jesus on a Christmas tree. Where do we even begin with this topic? Oh man. So let's see. I didn't go to any casinos or do anything in Vegas because Robots is the most effective way for me to lose money. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> right. I don't need to do. I don't need help losing money. Believe me. Um, and yeah, it's it is often that people um, don't try to disclose how much they spend, just because it is a lot. Uh, it is. It's a lot, and we know it can be spent on something better. But my goodness, is it really fun to build BattleBots? Right. The issue, as I see it, is I would say it's three prompt. Um, first of all. Like, I'm never going to lay the fault at the feet of BattleBots because realistically, they're a business. They got to make money. You know, we have to have a TV show, et cetera, yada, yada. The industry is exploitative, blah, blah, strike. Yeah, yeah. We get it. Um, the second issue, more in my mind, is just the expectations of everyone that comes into the sport is often different, right? So you have different tolerance <laughs> levels of how much money you're willing to lose. Some people are. You know they're out to win, right? Even if the prize purse is reasonable, they're you know it's not like they have their eyes on the prize because it's money, but it's because it's glory and fame. It's it's, it's a giant nut. You want it, right? So you have folks that are there to win it all at pretty much any cost, and you have their folks who are there because they're like, oh, this is a great TV show. It's a chance to be goofy. It's a chance to you know kind of flex our engineering design skills. So you have the business aspect. You have the personal motivation aspect and then you have the third the third and last uh influence on all this is just the inter-builder competitiveness that to a degree we do this to ourselves and i don't mean just oh you want to come to BattleBots, you want to build for you it is that we try to one-up each other and build the more destructive bot the quicker drivetrain the heavier armor the more exotic material right so all of these things combined you know, on um, what BattleBots wants more hours. You know, it's like you want to win the nut. And to do that, you have to beat your opponent who, you know, made their entire weapon out of the you know, whatever, like, unobtainium that they could get their hands on, right? So three things combine. And I think it's really just making the sport, as it stands right now, more and more unsustainable. And I think you're, you're probably getting hints of it from a lot of folks uh, on Reddit or on the fan page saying, oh, this costs a lot of money, right? Um, and it's definitely true. I think the cost of seasons for builders has grown uh, year over year as the sport progresses. And to your earlier topic, the issues revolving around sponsorship largely come from the relationship BattleBots has with Discovery and the other uh, avenues that they publish on. So in a way, their hands are tied, but it's both infuriating and understandable at the same time with sponsorships. Most Sponsorships and BattleBots right now are basically material cost uh, or some kind of parts. Relatively few teams are running off a financial sponsorship. Um, and there are some conflicts with teams that are trying to get a lot of sponsors or several large ones uh, when it comes to getting them approved to be aired. So it's hard to drive a good deal as a builder. And that kind of adds to the disagreement and pain of a lot of folks. Um, so I know I've gone on a lot, and there's a lot to take apart here. So I'm going to go 
hand it back to you and we can address these things separately. I'd love to start with sustainability. Um, is the sport sustainable in its current form or does money need to, the money piece of it have to change for it to become sustainable? I'm of the opinion that you're going to have a mass of teams that are burnt out in the coming two seasons. Um, just because either they've been around for a long time, have they seen the same patterns too much, or you're just really, you're spending too much just to keep up. Um, and that kind of touches mostly on points two and three that I made earlier of this is largely an issue of we are voluntarily causing ourselves thousands and thousands of dollars of damage a match, right? Only a couple of folks are stupid enough to keep losing that kind of money or on behalf of someone else. Um, so in general, now having been in robot fighting for uh, 20 years, which is an absolutely terrifying number to think about, <laughs> it's uh, a lot of the competitors in Norwalk are younger than I have been in the sport. You know, I've reached that kind of level. Um, the amount of uh, what I call tryharding is more than ever. It's like when the TV show comes back, people try harder. That's the that's the, the root of it, you know. And so when you have that occurring on a scale that is five figures of money. Very few people, you know, outside of a couple of folks who are known to be self-made wealthy or previously wealthy will be able to sustain that level of effort without some type of revenue in and of themselves, right? It's like, if I were completely wealthy off of stonks, I would do this forever, but I'm not, right? I have to balance that. And at some point, you're going to burn me out. And a lot of folks, especially after this season, which is a kick-ass season in all the best and the worst ways are kind of on the verge of like, okay, BattleBots, we need to figure out, you need to throw us a bone, something needs to happen because here we have folks losing five figures every single year and we have a family. Right, right. I have a family of vans and cats. Some people are real families, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I guess like for, for me, the, the really striking thing was when I was walking around inside the pits, I was trying to do the mental math and I was like, I think... I think there's probably like $3 million worth of parts and robots and time in this building. <clears throat> and that's a lot of money. And I just kind of looking around and I was like, how do people afford this? Like, you know, you, you look around, and you're like, oh, OK, that that guy is a tech, you know, founder. And this guy over here, he's an executive at an AI company. And like you kind of like start to look and you're like, there's not a huge amount of diversity in the sport, you know, like you don't see a lot of tinkerers, people who build things in their garage, like those builders have gone away. Like they haven't been on TV in 10 or 15 years. And yeah, that believe me, that pisses me off to no end. Yeah. Right. I guess, I guess the question is, you know, is there a solution, you know, like, uh, do you have, if, when, when you think about this, you know, when you talk to your friends about this, is, is there an easy solution? Is there a hard solution? You know, your, your thoughts on how to fix it? Man, I don't know. Like, but the, I think your point on there's no more tinkerers left in the sport. That is the biggest thing that really puts me off the battle bots. And it really is the thing that would chase me away from it. Right. Because at least when I started and when I kind of made my name in robot fighting, it was an all tinkerer sport. Right. Right. Like it's everyone brings their machine and you have to wrench on it. Like you're getting to a level in the sport now where it used to be that there were debates on whether or not it was, it was ethical to bring two robots, right? There was a kind of a, a spat with Bronco a couple of years ago 
where they brought two complete robots in different configurations. And everyone was upset about that. It's like, is this our future? Well, we're living in that future now. And the problem is two robots is just about the minimum that you have to put together if you really want to make it through the competition, right? And just the level of effort, the level of energy, the level of money that that requires is just continually increasing. And again, I tell people, we do this to ourselves. We each want the biggest brushless spinner. We each want the most powerful drivetrain, the, you know, the uh, most exotic armor. And everyone just has to keep up with, you know, quote unquote, the meta, right? So to me, there is no easy solution, right? Because this problem is complex. It involves like 180 different builders. Like to me, BattleBots has become the Formula One or NASCAR of this particular sport. You know, those sports oh. don't interest me. You know why? It's because money solves your problems. Like you will be able to spend like $80 million on an F1 race, right? And every single part is, you know, optimized by computer, by an entire design team, right? And every, every part is just made exactly the way you want it to. Like I liked old school Formula One because you didn't have computational fluid dynamic. You had to figure out yourself with models, you know, with, uh, with you know, experience what your aerodynamics in your car have to be. Right, you have to blow up your engine multiple times to revise the parts that fail. But it's these days it's too perfect. It's just everything works. You know, it's it's about the money. It's the same thing with NASCAR. Like they're struggling to maintain viewership just because it's the sport in unless you're a diehard fan, it's still the same look as it was in nineteen eighty two. Right. And I I'll be honest, like this latest season, like I said, was an extremely kick ass season. But I've seen it before. What is going to be different? Like, it cannot just become a money race because I don't have that much money. Hmm. Right. So back to you there. Like, this is officially now Charles's hot take on the future of the sports. Like, we, the builders, have to be the root of this change. BattleBots, if you saw, they tried to do it from the top with the addition of this new arena element uh, that they call the upper deck or the shelf or, you know, the timeout corner or what have you. So... That is one aspect of it, but it has to also, we, the builders, have to acknowledge that the way we have driven the sport, you know, from the depth of our hearts that we love is not really sustainable in its current form. Yeah, I, I guess I, I can see a future where people get priced out, where it is just millionaires competing. And for them, they don't care that uh, that their robots are totally cost prohibitive and they're made completely out of titanium, you know, Um and uh, oh, let yeah. me actually stop you right there on that. I, I have yeah. a one particular extra hot take on this front, and it's that infinite sponsorship is only going to make it worse. Hmm. I want sponsorship that helps reimburse our costs and make me not lose my shirt, right? But if we really go into the way of oh, everyone gets uh, like you know Walmart or Intel or you know something of that level, you're going to see this become much, much worse. And the sport is just going to be that much more diluted, in my opinion. And this is some people agree with me and other people who I really think they just want to not lose five figures, a completely reasonable request, you know, think I'm like talking out of my ass. Here. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, this is a sincere heartfelt point of view for me that 
infinite money will make this sport way worse than it is now. It will not solve anything. Interesting. Back to you. Sorry about that. No, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess I, I haven't really thought about it that way before. You know, I, I feel, I, I guess maybe I'm like one step behind where I'm like, well, BattleBots just needs to raise three more million dollars from investors and just pay the builders every season, you know, but I guess if they did that, it might make the sport even more unsustainable because people will just be kind of chasing, you know, intergalactic moon rocks, you know, to put into their, their uh, yeah. you know. That's, that's going to be the moral quandary here. Yeah. Like, yes, BattleBots $100,000 to do this. The problem is the robot will then cost $100,000. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I like to think overhaul was a very budget build, and you're looking you're looking at this thing in the pictures, probably like that's a budget build. Like, oh yeah, oh that's I spent so little money in in contrast to overhaul too. And I'm very proud of my uh, additional project management and sourcing skills. Um, but yeah, the, the moral quandary is when you get that much money to compete, the 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 rising tide, right? Everything if everyone gets that money, everything is going to cost that much more. Things are going to get that much more exotic. And I don't know if this is the right time to bring it up, but to me, the sport is becoming less and less relatable to fans. Hmm. Uh, and that's an anecdote I can go way deep on, on if we want later on, right? So you get, you're get you going to optimize yourself into a corner, and only three people on Reddit will really care after that, and I don't want us to fall into that trap. Interesting. Don't get me wrong. Those three people on Reddit are amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, can, you, can you say more about that? You know, um, kind of like, like getting getting it further and further away from from the fans. I mean, like, I guess, I get, like, if I if I understand what you're saying, like, and like, correct me if I'm putting words into your mouth. Like, one of the magical things about BattleBots is that kids can look at it and they say like, oh, I want to build something like that. You know, let's go into the garage. Let's like start putting things together. You know, let's, let's, let's build a robot. But when they see something that just looks like a miniature car, a race car, and it's impeccable and they know that it's $80,000, that it just becomes an, like an impossible dream. Yeah. And like, that's probably, again, if there's one thing that's going to chase me away from the sport, it's the loss of that kind of spirit. Um, and what that entails to me like, is, yeah, it was many moons ago, as they say, we were building robot fighters out of wheelchair motors, like out of drill batteries, out of like these appliance parts, right? You're putting lawnmower blades on, you're putting saw blades, you know, you're, you're, you're putting your propane torches and stuff and actual sledgehammers in the old BattleBots days, right? Those are things that are relatable to the average person. Everyone knows what a saw blade does. It cuts, right? Everyone knows what a, you know, a welder does. You know, it shoots sparks and you put metal together. Everyone's run a lawnmower. You know how much power is in a lawnmower when you hit a stump in the yard, right? That kind of kicks back on you. So in that context, people know how to relate to the robots. And mm. it really, it helps kind of drive the additional expansion of the audience. Because as you said, the whole point of the sport when it was beginning Everyone was pitching it this way. It's a great democratizer. Everyone knows that, oh, they can probably do this if they go to the garage and they're able to assemble this and that. But my opinion is these days, people have no idea what the robots are actually doing. Right. <clears throat> and it's because, if, for example, a I began thinking of this uh, really in depth when, when uh, I think it was the Blacksmith Minotaur fight. That fight always gets reposted on Reddit, always gets reposted on Facebook, right? And there were people going like, Oh yeah, that robot has a taser on it. That's why it's shooting sparks. 
or like, can anyone tell me what Minotaur is using as a weapon? Like, Minotaur is using a custom machined one piece billet, heat treated, you know, steel with 10 horsepower behind to power by a large model airplane motor, right? That's a mouthful. Yeah. That is not a chainsaw. I'm sorry. Right. So you have that, and you have these other bots now that are having the uh, vertical kind of like little vert impact weapons that I always complain about. And people ask, like, hey, what's the weapon on that? Is that like a saw blade or something? I'm like, no, it's actually a, you know, the more things you have to do, no, that's actually a, thing the more of a neckbeard sport your sport becomes all right it's like not everyone is going to want to pay attention to that and people will start zoning out it's like it's getting to the point where if you point to a battle bot there is nothing familiar on it right your people are running custom made wheels right it's a custom machine cut welded water jet cnc whatever frame right? the weapon is a custom made a heat treated piece of steel things like that you're getting bots which are good artistic pieces and good car show pieces right it's a good rolls royce it's a good you know mclaren 720 but it's no longer that machine that looks like someone banged it out in the basement with parts that you can get at the hardware store at home depot at autozone right and maybe some some people are like oh well that's for the better because that's the sport people actually want to watch but again it is kind of you have to kind of decide what you want to be if you want to be formula one you're going to have a smaller fan base who gets really into it and wants to learn the engineering. You know, if you want to be junkyard wars or something, then we'll have to explore that front. So, but from my own perspective, you know, that's a problem. Like I can't explain what things on bots are without really explaining the whole robot. And that's just to me, that's a shame. Yeah. That is really interesting. You've given me a lot to think about. Yeah. I think I gave you a philosophical crisis. What about me? (laughs) (laughs) yes yes well um we uh so i want to pass it over to nicole uh because we got uh, so many great listener questions and so many people are so curious about 2021 overhaul and some of the design thinking so take it away nicole hell yeah let's go all right let's start with a series of excellent questions from battlebot superfan alexander archer he asks how does it feel to return to battlebots after a two season and three year hiatus oh it was amazing i hate it <laughs> it was absolutely incredible but why do i keep doing this to myself i don't know if uh people have probably seen enough of my floor posts and reddit posts being like this is horrible why do we keep doing this <laughs> when, when can i go home no it's it's great to be back. I hate it. It's uh, it's <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, ended up being great as usual. It's because I get to see all my friends. As I said I get to see, we get to see how our creations work. Ultimately, at the end of the day, after all the money problems are gone and after all the philosophical issues burn themselves out with enough LSD or whatever, you have a group of friends who enjoy doing things together. And I cannot stress that enough. Like no one who is listening to this should be offended that i'm targeting them personally for enjoying the sport it's, it's it's absolutely that we love what we do and we just want to see it prosper um so for myself it was great to just finally get that itch out of me that oh i was like overhaul one could be better you know it could be do it could do that overhaul two could be better you know sucking this way i'm like okay it's time to put up or shut up here's overhaul three it's it's gonna robot right Find out next week on BattleBots. <laughs> so, so is that that's your motivation? Is just sort of uh, bettering yourself? Is that what what motivated you to come back? I mean, I had I feel like I had unfinished business, right? Because as I said, Overhaul Two never quite lived up to what I wanted it to be. 
Um, and I wanted to explore some of the design changes. And yeah, it's it's at the root of the root of the whole conundrum. It's like I would like to be back because I want to see my thing actually work. You know, it's I can do this in many, many avenues. This is the avenue I love the most. Overhaul is very different from the last time fans saw it in season three. Can you tell us a little bit about the upgrades this season? Yeah, completely new bot. Um, the, kind of the big takeaway from season three was if I want to drive like Sawblaze, like Hypershock, like these really like Yeti, like these really uh, mobile kind of acrobatic bots that are all over the place, I need acres and acres of wheels. Like that's just, there's no getting around it from talking to folks there and watching season four kind of from the sidelines. Um, so one of the biggest changes is that uh, overhaul, as people say, is now Swoverhaul. Um, <laughs> it's got the giant uh, wheels and things like that. Uh, it does look very beefy. Uh, and it is. So the frame was greatly simplified. Uh, so it used to be like 12 different billet pieces that connect together, at inner rails, at outer rails, at things in the middle. But I'm just like, I'm just going to take a single two-inch thick piece of aluminum and carve it up until I like it. And so you know, now I have these gigantic balloon tires that are on the outside. It looks a little like whiplash. Uh, I made the joke. It's, uh, you know, it's overlash. Um, but that's great because I want to drive like Matt drives whiplash, right? So the drivetrain's more stout. The frame is way chonkier. The motors have been consolidated. Overhaul used to have seven motors inside. I had two for drive on each side, two on the lifter, and then you have the clamp. Um, instead of two little motors, I ended up going with uh, one single large motor, for example. And all three that are running the clamp, lift, and drive are actually identical. So I don't have to think about making different configurations. Um, oh, I would say on that topic, the most major change between season three and 2018 and this past season is uh, I worked on a lot more projects that required me to think about designing for servicing and people who are not me to work on whatever I'm designing, uh, both for my former company and my current line of work. So I prioritized design for service. You can pull out any part, like any major assembly and overhaul in about two minutes. Uh, and before the event, I made an entire list of tools and procedures, you know, and I made a packed, organized crash kit just of those tools. And everyone on team had to learn it, know it, and practice it. Uh, and so that pit operation, and I really hope they show the footage that they took in the pits. We were the proverbial NASCAR team. That you come in from a match, the top half of the bot just unbolts in under 90 seconds. The lid is off. Things are coming out. You know, so I was very, if anything, I was more proud of being able to do that because that is a valuable engineering management skill, right? And if I choose to start another company or if I choose to uh, advance in a career, people are going to be like, oh, you thought of that and you're experiencing that. Great. Can you do it for us too? It's, it's not just about, you know, winning a particular thing. Now I'm very proud of the entire operation on a meta level. Yeah, that's awesome. I hope they do show some of that because I'm sure it'd be really interesting to see. Yeah, coming from a place where I used to design bots that needed like 18 different tools to take apart, you know, just you put something on and it's good. And like, no, every frame bolt is 3 8 inch diameter, period. And I'm going to design around that. We need more. We're going to use seven of them you know, instead of a single bigger bolt because that requires a different tool. Right. Wow, that's really cool. So um, what are your thoughts about the new season being filmed in Vegas instead of Long Beach? Oh, man, if there's one thing that I'm super proud of BattleBots for, it is landing the Vegas contract. Um, we deserve to be in Las Vegas. Like, we are 
historically, we have been a very showy, spect uh, spectacular sport, right? It's like we're kind of the WWE of robots. So we absolutely deserve to be, you know, in Caesar's Palace, you know, or uh, at least on the heart of the strip uh, on a big billboard. Like that's definitely something that I'm super looking forward to. Um, there have been plenty of rumors and kind of like vague plans for a live show series, and I'm super giddy about that. So we definitely, it's an improvement over Long Beach because in Long Beach, you were just kind of in the middle of this airplane factory that was in this middle of this abandoned industrial wasteland. Like it looked like gas town almost from a distance. Um, wasn't much to do. There wasn't much to eat. Their hotel was a half hour away. Um, and that's 45 minutes on an LA commute. So this time around, we had infinite hotel available. So everyone was just staying at the event hotel or there was plenty of Airbnb space. You, you know, grab a room at the Palazzo or something. It was just everything to do besides just robots. And I, I think that helped morale a lot. Like you were able to get away from it, kind of drink your sorrows away <laughs> if you wanted to. They warned you not to party too hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, that's a warning you probably didn't have to send for Long Peaches. Please don't be hung over the next day for your film, for, for your fight session. Yeah, that doesn't sound great to, to, to try to fight robots if, if you're in that condition. <laughs> It probably runs afoul of some kind of operating under the influence law, but a lot of us were like, we should try driving a match while completely blitzed. All right. So uh, Alexander's last question wrote it in, in, in present tense saying, who do you want to overhaul to fight as a first test back? But I guess who did you want overhaul to fight first to see if, if you were still able to win fights after such a long hiatus? I was into any of the control bots. Like I have, my favorite BattleBots match of all time is still Overhaul 1 versus Bite Force 1, all the way back in 2015. Like, that was a driver's match. It was very technical. That was Paul and I putting on our both uh, both of our best driving games, and I kind of wanted that back again. So, you know, with Overhaul 3 being that much more mobile and kind of, like, uh, tactical capable, I suppose, it's uh, I wanted to face one of the other control bots. Um, for example... Uh, Retrograde was one of the folks that I, I wanted to face. Uh, Big Dill slash um, Big Dill and Claw Viper, the uh, Seattle grabber lifters. Um, a lot of these folks that are grabber lifters, including including Whiplash himself, um, I definitely wanted to face. And of course, just anything, any excuse to bash it up with the Boston folks like P1, Valkyrie, and Sawblaze, that was also appreciated. Cool. So we've got a good two-part question from Chris Horry, who asks, in 2018, Overhaul was one of the few featured clamping control bots, along with Hypothermia and Red Devil, maybe Kraken and Petunia as well. What do you think of the recent reemergence of this style with Claw Viper and Slamow last season and the addition of Defender and Deadlift this season? Yes, yes, yes. I highly encourage it. Um, I'm very happy about it. It's again, it's a design that in the modern environment, it's kind of hard to win with, uh, and you don't do any inherent damage with your bot. You have to leverage the arena or any other aspect. So the fact that more people are building this again, to me, that's a it's a good sign that people want something different. No, because once you get tired of building spinners, what do you build? You're probably going to build a wedge or a lift. Yeah, you know, just kind of like get that old driving thing down again. So. It's great that there's more of us. Uh, I obviously cannot comment on who did what, uh, but I'll say that at least Grabby Lifty Bots this year, I think we had a pretty reasonable showing between all of us. So did the addition, the second part of the question, did the addition of these new 
control bots affect your improvements to overhaul? Not really, uh, just because I obviously haven't faced them before, right? A lot of these bots were either developed kind of uh, in parallel, or maybe we sparred a little bit at the Orlando Maker Fair, which had a uh, the sportsman style heavyweights. I know I fought a early version of Claw Viper with uh, Sadbot, the dummy bot, at Orlando Maker Fair. Was able to help Kevin kind of debug, you know, a couple of things about the design, and that obviously was wrapped up into his season five and uh, current season entries. So it's, it, I wouldn't say it affected overhaul's design so much as I was just good. You know, it was glad to see that aspects that I helped pilot with uh, Grabby Lifty Bots did influence some other folks and kind of like make people go, hmm, maybe there's a point to it. Curtis Honeycutt has a good question about overhaul's various configurations. He writes. I want to know more about Overhaul's T-Rex configuration. I'm not going to ask if you deployed it at all in Season 6 matches, but what type of bots is this configuration designed for? So what I call T-Rex mode is uh, where Overhaul is a set of short arms that tuck inside a kind of like a big plow. Um, so it it is the spinner configuration for weapons like Tombstone, like Rotator, like Malice and Valkyrie, the uh, horizontal hitters. Um, I was able to test this idea at Norwalk, actually, in kind of like direct scale, because Dirty Hall also has an identical looking set of arms. Um, and in the, I think it's the February 2021 stream capture, you're able to see it fight against Rumham, which is a big horizontal undercutter. It's like if you turn huge sideways, they would, uh, kind of like that. And I managed to get some pretty good hits in and uh, deflect the weapon. So that was like, okay, this is a fantastic idea. I'm definitely going to implement it for Overhaul 3. And the original version of that idea was the plow that I used against Valkyrie in the grudge match in Season 3. And it worked fairly well, but the problem is it shot Valkyrie up into the clamp. Uh, so that was a little suboptimal. The geometry of that new T-Rex mode is designed to prevent that. Nice. So Joe Copenhaver has a supply line question. Now that EV Warrior motor stock has been pretty much depleted, what is the modern day EV Warrior motor that we should all be hoarding and using? So for a little bit of background on this, the for fans that aren't um, 20 years into the sport like me, the EV Warrior used to be this modified electric bike motor that was available on the surplus market for like $50. Um, and that drove, I would say that drove like, I don't know, third of the field at old school battle bots and they were available only for a couple of years afterwards i would say there hasn't been an equivalent of that motor like a surplus motor that just does nothing well but everything okay there hasn't been that for at least 10 years now. and again it kind of goes back to what we were talking about about pains that the sport's no longer a garage these days if you go into the pits pretty much everything is bought new it's either bought new uh, off a production line, or it is bought new and bespoke from a manufacturer. <clears throat> so there is not really a current surplus, uh, randomly found motor because the sport itself has moved on from that. That said, if you were to just take a sample of all the motors and see which ones are just the most common, like folks are probably using the short amp flow motor or the uh, S28 150 size mag motor, the little silver motors that bite force is a lot of basically and whiplash uh, those are probably the most common motor in all of BattleBots, just by sheer count um, if you were to name a weapon motor it would probably be a um, 
like a Chinese electric skateboard motor and a 63 or an 80 millimeter brushless motor that's it formerly used in uh, large model aircraft. And since then, the small EV world has kind of co-opted the design for electric boards, electric bikes, electric go-karts. Those are available from several different OEMs in China. Um, so again, like I do wish there were still space for doing surplus motors and kind of found objects like that. But I have not seen a good supply of anything like that for over a decade. And a lot of that I think it's just because the world is all fully transitioned onto lean manufacturing. Like, there's no more, almost no more surplus, quote unquote, to be had in general. Uh, we have shortages of everything instead these days. Right. Kikoto Maine has a three-part question. Yeah, he did great at DragonCon. I'm going to shout out. I wasn't able to make it to the uh, Little Bots event at Robot Battles this year. I heard he did very well. Yeah, so... He says, I remember you building a three-pound flywheel-powered flipper named Roll Cake a few years ago. Whatever happened to it? Um, it exists. I competed at Norwalk uh, about two years ago or so. The design is about four years old. Uh, I like it. If I had infinity money and I had no other hobbies, I would build a 250-pound Roll Cake paddle bus. Um, and for those who have never seen it, it's... Uh, it's kind of a cheese wedge shaped bot with a dual disc spinner on one end that through a, a gearbox and a transmission linkage is hooked to a flipper arm. So I can, it's, it works a lot like the old warrior, the Waiachi flywheel flipper. Um, so the whole idea was to be able to have that offensive capability with the disc, but also kind of give people the one, two with the uh, flipper that is powered by it. Um, and I currently, it's just, it runs, but Norwalk did a lot of damage, and I just haven't repaired it. That's it. Okay. So what inspired the drastic change for the design of Overhaul between Seasons 1 and 2? Oh, man, that goes back a while. So Overhaul Season 1, um, from the beginning opener pros, was a, a collaboration, quote-unquote, between what is now uh, Sawblaze and what was Brutus and Road Rash in Season 1. So it was a group of four friends uh, and, our, and our friends and whatnot and kind of overhaul one was we had about half weeks in total between when we got the call to when we had to ship it uh it was largely what could we do right then and there uh with things that we have and i think um the design intent was it was a take the average genetic line of uh all of our 30 pounders at the moment so i had uber clocker which is my grab and lift jameson back then had megatron the uh 30 pound saw blades that it is now um, and then Dane, our other teammate, had a 30-pound shuffle walker that uh, was called Fission Product that he built for Motorama, a uh, 30-pound event in Pennsylvania back in, I think, 2014. So the whole idea was just, okay, if we just blob those designs together, what happens? And that is how, actually, you get the majority shape of Overhaul even today. So when Season 2 came around, I took Overhaul's mantle because it was the grabby, lifty design that... I've been driving. So I kind of, um, I guess I mushed around the general shape of it until I arrived at something that was still recognizable as Overhaul, but it was now a completely revamped, uh, redone design. And Overhaul 3 just does that once again from this past year. So his last question is, your 30-pound robot, this robot is not Overhaul, is currently due to compete in the Norwalk Havoc December finals. Out of all the other bots that have currently qualified for the finals, which bots are you worried about fighting the most? And how do you rank your chances of winning the event? You know, I'm going to begin this 
answer with a uh, little bit of shaming directed towards BattleBots. Because why is it that I have a better chance of turning a profit running a 30-pounder event than going to BattleBots? <laughs> and Norwalk has a big prize purse on purpose. It's because people funding it have you know a lot of deep pockets and they want to see a 16. So it's kind of a cheeky question. Um, but the yeah, the realistic part is I'm not going to Norwalk Finals because 30 Paul is wrecked and I'm currently so burnt out on robot fighting that I'm not going to be rebuilding the next month. Sorry to disappoint, but if anything, I'm going to uh, bring back Stance Dance Revolution for November or something. I have a couple of friends going to that. Okay. <laughs> so speaking of Norwalk Havoc, we have a question from Ryan Hunter who wants to know, my family is designing and building a three pound bot for Norwalk Havoc. Where is the best place we should start and what pitfalls should we avoid? So first of all, understand that Norwalk Beatles is probably the most sweaty and uptight competition here on the planet right now. Um, and by that, I mean, I love everyone, uh, and you guys are doing great, but y'all try way too hard. Uh, it is a very fast-paced, frantic, and destructive event. Um, if whatever you design, design to be serviceable and bring space. That is the number one thing, is be able to fix your bot in under 20 minutes, or you're probably going to, even if you win the last match, if you can't turn around, you're probably going to get forfeited. Um, it is a entry that had like a weight class that has a lot of entries they move very quickly and the damage is just brutal um that's kind of honestly that's kind of what kept me out of uh three pounder so far it's just everyone is so micro optimized into doing this that it's again it's stopped being fun the, the whole idea of that is not fun to me um and again not to disparage anyone who actively chooses to do this so that's just my own opinion on that Okay, we have two questions about Overhaul's shuffle drive from Victor Dyson and Richard Sum. Victor asks, could you explain how a shuffler works? I've been wanting to build one for a while. So a shuffler is essentially under the current rule sets of most events. It's, it's square wheels, but with more steps. Literally, more steps. Um, instead of a wheel, you'll have a cam-based linkage that moves one or more legs kind of up and down side to side. And the distinction between a shuffler and a walker is that if you continually rotate the motor, you will get continual movement of the bot. So at the end of the day, it is wheels with more steps in it. Um, it's just the motor is not driving a round thing that's touching the ground. It is driving usually a crankshaft or uh, another series of linkages that through their course of motion will impart kind of like they'll push a little leg along the ground or they'll you know, pop up one in the bot a little bit and so on. So that is a shuffler. Um, now, since overhaul used to be a shuffler, like that part of the question is because, again, one of the designs that we folded into overhaul version one was a shuffle bot to take advantage of a weight bonus at that event. We were initially promised a weight bonus at BattleBots, but apparently that came uh, late enough into the decision stages that ABC, the original network, ended up saying, okay, you can't just go change the rules on people like that. So we ended up not getting a weight bonus, which is why Overhaul was all wheels until the very last exhibition. Um, I'm trying to think a good resource to look at shufflers online. There's another bot at Motorama called Pitter Patter um, that is a built by one of the Canadian builders that influenced the design of Overhaul shufflers directly. So pitter-patter was one of them. For a slightly different style, if you look at the Motorama bot's SS Impact, uh, built by my Georgia Tech friends, 
and current day uh, Silent X at Norwalk. Those are a slightly different style of linkage that uses a cam and a slider, not just driving off a big cam. So it's a little more complex to make, but it actually runs a lot smoother. So good luck to you. Uh, again, events offer weight bonuses for shufflers because it is more complex. I believe there is a current nascent trend in doing shufflers because uh, now that there are several solutions to these linkages that produce good traction and forward movement, which is one of the problems before, um, and now you're going to have more people trying to take advantage of that weight bonus. So I think watch this space. Um, if shufflers start proliferating, which I hope they do, they're you know nice to design mechanisms and elegant, um, we're probably going to see some, ro- to some rule changes here. Okay, so you've already kind of answered most of Richard's question, but he, he wanted to know how well did the shuffler work and would you consider building one again? It drove like a hovercraft is the way I'll put it. Um, because the... Again, you're not in continuous contact with the ground. You have little legs that are bouncing forward and backward. So uh, when it's slow, it drives clunky, like overhaul just go clunk, 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 clunk as it goes over the legs. But once those motors spin up full speed, that uh, any semblance of traction is gone. It's definitely drove like a hovercraft. Uh, and that's part of those that issue that the new style linkage of um, Silent X helps address is that it has less bounce. Um, and I would only build a shuffler in any way class, again, especially for BattleBots, if BattleBots gave me another 150 pounds. Okay, Bloodsport team member Nick Buckholtz wants to know, Charles, heavyweight stance dance revolution, when? Again, if I have infinity money, I would gladly do it. Uh, and stance dance is a big enough meme that if you finally convince me to build a spinner again, I can't just build a normal spinner. You know, it, this is me. I have to do something really stupid that doesn't work. Um, <clears throat> but to Stance Dance's credit, it did very well back when I had it in competition. So I would do it again, just if I had nothing to do and I had infinity money, you would see it. We just have an entire BattleBots competition of all bots that you've made, basically. <laughs> I mean, people are joking that I have an entire car show worth of vans in my yard, right? So what's di- what's different? <laughs> All right, well, it's time to transition into some miscellaneous and potentially silly questions, and I'm going to toss it over to Kyle for this part. (laughs) Oh, I love silly questions. These are the best. We have so many silly questions. It's almost like you elicit them. Um, All right, so here we go. First of all, Nelly the Elibot Captain Sarah Malian asks, Al Kindle told the shunt cast that he put Charles Katz through college. So my important question is, what did they study? And does them being in college, uh, college educated help you afford both your van and bot addictions? Yeah, I, I, I saw her post that on the Facebook. Uh, this is an inside joke between us three uh, that, yeah, Al's putting my cast through college because um, Blacksmith runs a lot of my motor controllers, the Rage Rage ESCs. So thank you, Al, for putting my cast through college. Uh, he's doing very well currently just partying and, uh, you know, getting stoned off of catnip. <laughs> yeah. Just like every good college student. That's at least freshman and sophomore year. And if you're real good, the rest of them as well. Something like that. Yep. Um, all right. So my girlfriend hates robots host Matt Hedger wants to know, what was it like being on regular car reviews with your van? And what was Mr. Regular like behind the camera? So everyone has to remember, um, if you haven't seen regular car reviews, first of all, um, the latest several episodes are actually great. Um, but he has a persona. This is entirely the show is his persona. He's really chill and awesome in real life. Um, so he doesn't like it when people are like, "Oh my God, you're you know you're you host my favorite YouTube TV, you're 
my favorite YouTube car show. I'm you're so famous. He doesn't like that. You know, he's super chill. You know, he's is a good person to just talk to and know. And, and we exchange messages a lot, just of like general car shenanigans and whatnot. So um, I do miss that shoot, and I do hope um, he's able to hold another RCR meetup once uh, COVID things kind of globally uh, or at least regionally settle down more. Um, because I would like to go back to a hangout like that. So we've got a question from Andrew, Andrew Hewitt who wants to know, what are your plans for your city cars? Are you going to put brushless motors and LiPo batteries in them to get them to highway speeds? LOL. So please explain to our listeners what a city car is. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, I have many things besides vans. I have these two uh, 1970s. There was an attempt.gif uh, vehicles that were designed to kind of um, – counteract the oil crisis of those days so in yeah. the 70s there were a lot of little ev upstarts that were like oh we can build a in-town in-city commuter vehicle uh, basically out of golf cart parts and fiberglass right <laughs> uh, so we are no longer dependent on foreign oil um and these two things called city car c-i-t-i car like Citibank, um they were actually the most sold electric car in the u.s before the tesla model s and before Nissan Leaf. So people are like, oh, what, what do you think was the most sold EV before those two models? And it's not the Ford Ranger EV. It's not like the Toyota RAV4 EV. It's actually these things. And they're practically golf carts. Uh, every part on the powertrain says easy go on them. Um, and even worse, they're 1970s golf carts. I cannot find vintage parts anymore. Um, and when I can't find them, they're like $400 because they're only collectors are working on vintage golf carts, right? So they're the only two project vehicles in my yard that do not run. Uh, I would like to point that out. Everyone thinks I have a yard of junk vehicles. They not everyone runs and drives and can be registered and insured. Love these two damn things. You know, the brakes are frozen up. They're just rusty. Um, one's in good condition. One was stored inside a guy's garage uh, for like 30 years or something. And the other one was stored outside next to the garage for 30 years. So uh, one's in very, very rough shape. The other one is nice, and I almost feel bad just insulting it by putting it in my yard. It's under a uh, tarp and a blanket, but still. Um, but to Andrew's point, I do want to get to getting them roadworthy again. Uh, I probably want to keep the nice one nice and stock. It is a dealership overstock, so it only has... Uh, like 10 miles of test drives on it, and it's all there. So I can either sell it for ridiculous amounts of money for such a thing, because it is a collector's vintage item, um, or I'll just kind of re-up it and keep it original. It's going to be really slow and terrible, <laughs> but the one that is completely trashed is the one that I will put all kinds of unethical powertrain experiments in. And to be clear, this is a uh, project that has unallocated time or money, because again, like, as of right now, I have a little too much on my plate in terms of vans. Uh, and I'm trying to financially recover from BattleBots. It's the big thing. It's like, why start on one expensive project when I just got out of another one? Um, so in the meantime, I'm letting the one that was stored outside marinate more and collect more natural patina. Uh, let the plants grow a little more from it. And I won't restore it. When I get it working, it will always have moss and lichens growing out of it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right, so we have like a bajillion questions about anime for you. Um, so Andre Cruz has a three-part question. Two of those parts are anime-related. So first of all, what's your favorite anime this year? 
I'll be honest, I have been a terrible, terrible weeb uh, as of late in the past couple of years. I've just really not had the time to just sit down and watch anime. Uh, any anime that I know right now is largely out of internet memes and Instagram stories um, and people I know who cosplay. So in terms of this year, I don't know if it's this year, but there is a recent um, skateboarding-centric anime called Skate the Infinity, the SK-8 The Infinity. Nice. Uh, and it's a pretty nicely animated, you know, has a reasonable story, pretty neat characters. Um, and some of my friends online did some cosplay of it. So, uh, I, again, I have not watched it all myself. I've only seen uh, clips of it, but it looks it looks pretty well done. Um, and I'll be honest, like, again, I haven't been a good weeb in the sense that I've watched stuff and read stuff since about 2016. <laughs> so anything that I give as a favorite uh, or whatever, it's probably going to be from before that time frame. All right. So the next question from and Andre is favorite anime of all time. Oh boy. <clears throat> um, I have a good one for this is uh, psychopaths. So spelled uh, psycho dash P A S S uh, not psychopath, uh, but it's kind of a play on that word. I really like it. Cause again, I'm a, a purveyor of what I call the boring dystopia. And I think that's actually a subreddit. Uh, it's called A Boring Dystopia, and it's just all the different ways that, you know, we're being surveilled and marketed to and uh, subject to kind of authoritarianism, like a lot of the takeoffs of the uh, world political themes right now. And the reason why I like Psychopath so much is that it's everything that it touches on, theme-wise, when it comes to kind of like free will and surveillance and privacy and all that, it's all real now! China's invented it. They're using it right now. It's awesome. Not really, but uh, it's a kind of uh, one of those Black Mirror kind of things where Black Mirror existed. Um, the oldest season is probably a good seven or eight years old, and then there were two more seasons in a movie. And I am told, again, I haven't kept track. There was a new entire series that came out about two years ago, and I really should go back and watch that because uh, the developments of the past couple of years, like in the 2010s, for world politics has been like, wait, you saw this on, on a TV show. Why are we doing this in real life? <laughs> That's my opinion of it. <laughs> so I, I think it's definitely worth watching uh, the first, the second, and the first movie. And um, to me, the first season and the movie were better than the second season. So for folks that are, have limited time or Amazon uh, Crunchyroll credits, those would be the ones that I focus on. They're largely independent. You don't really have to watch one to know the other. Nice. All right, so we have another anime question from Steven Eagert. Um, he wants to know, robot anime question, of all the bots in the competition this year, who do you ship overhaul with? And then he puts in parentheses, no harem answers allowed. <laughs> oh, God. I have not given thought to that. Um, probably because, number one, I'm just too burnt out and I hate all robots equally. Um I don't even want to look at overhaul right now. Like the crate's still closed and bolted up in my, in my driveway. <laughs> but so a couple of years ago, when we had overhaul and Sawblaze and road rash, all the members up in Boston, the girls of the team did a cosplay of basically like the hot coin fan arts of back then, uh, of th those three robots. And they were all at dragon con. So I'm going to violate the no harem clause by saying probably <laughs> Sawblaze and road rash. Uh, all together. Uh, this this photo is on the BattleBots fan pages, uh, probably my Facebook and Instagram somewhere. I don't have the link or anything off the top of my head, but it's they're 
very well done cosplays um, by Cynthia, Lucy, and Hannah of those three teams. Nice. <laughs> and I, th- I think there should be more of that. Like the, I encourage the artworks, like the ones that uh, Hotcoin has been making on the Reddit. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, because I really want everyone to turn BattleBots into an anime con. Like that's my mission. <laughs> I love it. All right, so Sumi Shik has anime-related statements and questions. So they're seeking your opinion on whether or not these statements are true or false. So first of all, Cowboy Bebop is the gold standard of anime. True or false? I'll be honest, I've never watched Cowboy Bebop. What? It's like it's like when I tell people I've never watched Titanic or I've never watched Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. Huh. Yeah. I'm going to assume it's really good. Uh, it is one of the 90s classics. Yeah. Um, and I do think the current anime fandom owes a lot of its existence to these 90s early 2000s classics like uh like cowboy bebop um probably also like um whatchamacallit like any of the gundam series or things like that yeah like a lot of us now in our late 20s 30s and 40s grew up with that kind of stuff for sure this era defining um all right so Second question, Inuyasha is historically overdone at conventions probably to this day, maybe next to Deadpool. Do you think it's overdone or not so much? I can't say it's overdone these days. Um, but keep in mind, the last convention I went to was in 2019. All right. Because right. uh, conventions have only recently started picking back up. The reason Inuyasha is overdone is, number one, it has a very big reach like Dragon Ball Z, like uh, Gundam, because they were broadcast on U.S. networks, kind of... Uh, a lot of the kid-centric networks, like Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, um, stuff like that. And they are characters which are generally easier to cosplay. because They were in, you know, essentially they're street clothes and they're day-to-day, right? It's not like it's elaborate costumes you have to put together. So it is, it's easy. It's, uh, I don't know if I can call it overdone, because it's, it's got the most reach. You know, I would say vertical spinners are overdone in BattleBots. True. You know, so I can have those opinions all day long. <laughs> and final question from Sumi. Um, what's your favorite Ghibli film before English dubbing was good? Oh man. Um, that is a great question. Before English dubbing was good implies kind of like the several originals that they made. I don't know if I I can put together an answer to that right now. Like in general, the Ghibli films were just classics. Like they're all well done. They're all like well plotted well written, well animated. So I can't say I have a favorite. Like, it's just one of those things that if you say you have a favorite, you're doing the rest of them kind of a disservice. You know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to have to leave it uh, at that. It's like, in general, everything that they have made is good. Fair enough. I'm very bad at giving these uh, is my favorite blank kind of answers, because I, I guess I do tend to consider stuff more in context or kind of like all together. <laughs> Like all robots are awesome. They're all terrible as well. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> all right. So our next uh, anime related question comes from, I guess it's anime related. Uh, comes from L. Irene who writes, please ask Charles this. It's important. Hatsune Miku's world is mine or world and worlds and dance hall. We're doing the classics. Which one's the best? Neither. Um, this is one of my personal neckbeard points. If you ask me about Vocaloid, I will never recommend one of those Miku classics because those songs were both done really before anybody were Vocaloid experts. Um, in my opinion, the tuning is kind of really, really off and hard to listen to because uh, people were still trying to figure out the software and how to synthesize 
voices that flow well together. So the I would say the pre-2008 Vocaloid Hatsune Miku songs, a lot of those classics like Melt, uh, Love is War, those other things, I really can't stand them. Uh, I think the software has evolved so far in the past 10 years that just about any modern song uh, will outdo those. And I know we're supposed to be talking about the classics, right? It's like what defined the genre. It's like I just insulted all Studio Ghibli films because they're not animated these days, right? Um, <laughs> God, if I had to give a classic that I actually like, I'm going to have to do a little research uh, just because I have not had those songs in my playlist for such a long time. <laughs> but I would say anything anything by KZ, the artist KZ live tune, is a good classic. Uh, and they have a lot of the hits that go back to the 2007-2008 era. All right. And if I have to give a hard answer right now, probably be Strobo Nights. Uh, it's a, a song by KZ. Strobo Nights. All right. Well, that's the answer. Fair enough. Yeah. And honestly, again, because it's the classics, the remixes and the remakes of that song are much better. <laughs> All right, so we got a pair of statements from Carol and Rick Johns, whose daughter, Shay Waffles Johns, was on our show last week. Um, we feel like these might be inside jokes. I think I kind of know what this first one's relating to. Carol writes, You are one of the most chair-itable builders, with four exclamation points. Um... I, I know you're not allowed to divulge this because of NDAs and, and whatnot, but um, I mean, were you able to run in with a chair this time? Well, not you, but overhaul. I will snake around the NDA as closely as I can for this one because I'm very, very proud of it. Um, there were chairs involved at some point in overhaul's run this season. <laughs> it may or may not have been by popular vote the best match of the season. So my absolute hope is that they are able to air the before the preparation and the after because it was absolutely incredible the level of production that both myself and the opponent in that match put on for that match. Oh, that makes me so excited. I Trey was not happy. I'm sure. Whatever gets on his nerves is what I'll do. <laughs> so, yeah, that is a thing. If we're going to rumor monger from, uh, from this podcast, that is the thing to look out for, is the chair. <laughs> yes. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say. I can't, I'm not going to say who it was, who won, what we did, but y'all got to look out for it. This meme has been a long time coming, and uh, just the chance of it coming to real life, it, it makes me very happy. Oh, yeah. Everything in our power in the builder community was done to make this happen. <laughs> and Rick writes in all caps, are you not entertained? So he wants your reactions on that, Charles. Are, are you not entertained? No, not at all. <laughs> Battlebots is terrible. Robots are <laughs> We should not build them. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right. So Brandon Zelensky, P1 captain. He has an existential question writing, why are we still here just to suffer? Yeah, and I recall on the uh, Facebook thread that it was a screenshot from like 2014 or something or 2016 that I I literally just said robots are terrible and we shouldn't build them. And yet we are here again in 2021 building robots in the middle of a desert. <laughs> what is wrong with us? Why do we keep doing this to ourselves? <laughs> All right, so Rusty Captain Dave Eaton he wants to know, did you choose the van truck life or did the van truck life choose you? 
Oh, man. Do people really choose to be on heroin? <laughs> That's a good point. Oh, man. Um, the first, this all started with my friend showing me the Craigslist listing. That was, that was the beginning of the end. So, Jackpot Captain Jeff Waters asks, when are we getting the Charles Guan MMD model? <laughs> oh, man. What is this referring to? I don't understand this meme. Oh, that is an obscure reference. So, MMD is a software called Miku Miku Dance uh-huh, that yeah. was made about uh, 10 odd years ago uh, for folks who wanted to animate Miku music videos. So, it was a low barrier to entry alternative to learning Blender, to learning like uh, these 3D rendering programs. So, um, an MMD model is like literally someone has to make a rigged skeleton model with like all the costumes and whatnot uh, and import into the software. So you can do it for anything. Uh, there's a couple of good videos that are um, at this point, a good couple of years old as usual that kind of import every single franchise character known to man right now and have them all dance. Um, <clears throat> so when are we getting the Charles Guan MMD model? I don't know. When someone wants to 3D scan me and make a uh, model for the software, be my guest. I'll take it. I'll also take a, a Haru-chan VR model that I can uh, be on YouTube as a VTuber with. Oh, I love that. BattleBots needs to do a full-on console video game just so we can get scans of all of you guys so we can make this happen. You know what I want? In that vein of things, this is like if I had, again, infinity money, I would fund this. So uh, Norwalk Austin, hear me out here. Uh, we're going to take all of the hot coin chibi anime girl fan arts of the robots and we're going to make a street fighter style video game <laughs> forget battle bots or a uh, battle bots video game or robot arena 2 or you know smash bots or any of these uh video games with robots i want like kantai collection you know style uh like battle girls battle thoughts <laughs> with our robots uh this will probably be a couple hundred thousand dollar production um if we think we can do it on kickstarter or something we should but if i had to die of some terminal disease this would be my last wish to have this game <laughs> let it be known that in on 927 2021 33 years old charles flockaguan demands a battle thoughts video game <laughs> Oh, what a title. I love it. All right, so let's close out this interview with a question from Pardon My French team member Gus Collier, who asks, Charles, why? He's asking me that question. We all should be asking Gus that question. Why? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you know, That's Gus, fair. Zelensky and all these other folks. Why? I don't know why. Why do we keep doing this to ourselves? Well, while you try to figure that out, we want to thank you so much for talking with us today. We can't wait to see Overhaul in the Battle Box this year. And um, yeah, we hope to see you again soon if you ever pop that crate open and fix the bot. Yep, I think I will in the coming weeks because uh, there's, again, I do want to take Overhaul to some of the uh, anime cons that are starting back up again. So what I'm probably going to do is just kind of fix up the damage so it looks generic. You, know, you can't really tell who I faced or what happened to it. And then uh, probably bring it with the white van truck, which is uh, covered in uh, waifu stickers. So that'll just be my rollout for who knows what. Maybe I'll, there's a couple of cons nearby in like South Carolina, North Carolina in the coming months. Uh, Holiday Matsuri down in Florida is another big one. Things like that. So we'll see. I'll be at somewhere around there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Charles. We really appreciate it. 
Absolutely. It's great to be back. It's good to be back on the podcast again. It's, uh, you know, it feels good to kind of let some of these hot takes go that I've been keeping inside for a while. So I hope the fans appreciate it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, Charles, thank you so much. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to an abandoned limestone mine in Kentucky, where a team of roboticists won a $2 million prize after successfully completing DARPA's latest subterranean competition. Team Sarabrus used a combination of autonomous walking and flying robots to find 23 objects hidden in three underground environments designed to simulate a collapsed mine, a cave, and a subway system. Man, I need an autonomous robot to find the stuff I lose in my apartment. Well, yeah. I mean, if you have $2 million and uh, the might of the U.S. military... You can uh, you can get the smartest roboticist from around the world to uh, compete to find uh, objects in your apartment. Um, this so like I I love the various DARPA challenges. I think that they are really all very interesting. And this subterranean challenge is really interesting because uh, communications are really dif- difficult underground, and um, robots have to figure out a way to make decisions on the fly. They don't have access to the same types of GPS tools. Um, that they may have in other kind of like outdoor environments and um, yeah, like kind of, kind of make decisions independently and, and in a lot of cases do so like under pretty tight time frames. you know, like, do you have, you know, you have 60 minutes to go in and try and find as many objects as you can. And, you know, like you can think this might have cool applications in the future for some kind of collapsed mine and they're going to go in and within an hour, try and find as many miners as, as they can. Kyle, what are your thoughts? I think that this is neat. I think that the applications for it are really cool. I worry that it's not going to be used to find miners, but rather to... Um, I feel like it's going to be used for, for more nefarious purposes. It's just a lot of money to spend to find miners, you know what I mean? It's it's uh, it's not uh, it's not something that, that the, the companies really spend a lot of money on. You are thinking that uh, DARPA, you know, is using this to go down and do some subtraining and spying or something. Is that correct, Kyle? Yeah, maybe, you know, planting a few munitions like that. You know, there's there's uh, there's different things that you could do with this that are uh, pretty nefarious. Interesting. Interesting. So you don't you don't trust DARPA. Is that, is that what you're saying, Kyle? Who trusts DARPA? Uh, FBI. We, we got him. Finally. You know, he said it on tape. <laughs> we can close up the podcast. It's been two and a half years. Finally, we've got the evidence that we need. Nicole, great work. Great, great work. well that's it for us today we'll be back in your feed next wednesday with yet another mystery guest see ya bye bye